Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you three weeks later with a new episode. And what I'm going to have here is part three of my interview with Tabrin Lee, um, who is a police officer out in Los Angeles, and he's also a Judo Yondan and a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And we continue our conversation about, well, what are you, again, coronavirus. We continue our conversation. We're talking a little bit about coronavirus. Now, I know a lot has changed since then. So you got to understand, I, I had this interview done uh, over a month ago. So, so you know, I know things have changed since then. But we do have a conversation about shutting down and coronavirus. And I also do circle back on the homegrown program. There are some questions that I wanted to follow up with him. When you hear the interview, you may find that I sound a little different. And that's partially because for me, we ended up doing this interview quite late on the East Coast time. So if you guys don't know, I I like to get to sleep, you know, or at least be in bed by 10 p.m. I'm kind of an early to bed, early to rise kind of guy. So we were pushing around 1130 p.m. And that that's late for me. I was never one of those club guys that that, uh, you know, stayed out at clubs till 2 a.m. and stuff. So late night for me is like 1130. That's like I'm really pushing it there. If I'm if I'm up past midnight, then I, I'm I'm probably in a bad place. <laughs> usually, at least that's how it used to be. But um, so, yeah, so I'm going to continue the conversation with Tabron. I want to talk about three different things that I've watched over the past three weeks or so. And I think they're all very important for different reasons. How many of you out there, well, you can't answer this, so I'm just going to ask the question anyway. How many of you out there have been watching Travis Stevens and his what seems to be nightly uh, discussion with his fans and on, on his YouTube channel? Have you guys been checking that out? Because I, I he's... um. He's put together some really interesting videos. I can't watch them all. I mean, when it comes to podcasts and listening to people talk, I used to do that a lot in my car, but I, I since I don't really drive anymore, I, I work from home, I don't uh, have the luxury to sit there and listen to somebody talk for an hour or two. Uh, but I did one night, and he's done two videos specifically on his thoughts about uh, judo in the United States and specifically USA Judo. And I, I got to tell you, I I don't know Travis personally, but he's far more of an engaging guy in this element uh, than I would have ever thought. Because I've heard in, him do interviews with other people and he's always kind of struck me as a very, um, uh, what's, what's the word? Like very competitive, a very... Yeah, I guess very competitive. Somebody that has only had one focus for 15 years and it's only been competition. That's that's kind of how it's come across um, in different interviews over the years. But but he's a very personable guy. At least that's how he's coming across on his own channel. I, and like I said, I don't, I've, I've never met him. I don't know him personally. So I I guess I've only seen one side of him over the years, but this time around, doing these these discussions, he's very engaging with his fans. He's very engaging with his ideas, and he's very bright. And I'm not I'm not saying I thought he was a dumbass before or anything like that. I just he's he's very he's a lot more thoughtful than I would have thought uh, him to be. And the thing is, I go into explaining all of that in case maybe some of you have had similar. Uh, opinions or, or or not opinions, similar impressions about Travis uh, from previous interviews. But this is this is a very different Travis. This is a very uh, engaging, like I said. So he talks a lot about USA Judo, and I can't really run down everything that he's talked about really over seems like four and a half, five hours just on the topic of Judo in the United States. But I just wanted to bring it attention to you guys because it's worth listening to. I think if there's one thing that you should take away uh, from the topics, he actually said this in the video. Um, he said that he he just says this and you could leave the video if you wanted to, which I, I did watch probably another 20 minutes, but then I left. But he states the following, uh, and this was very interesting. USA Judo and American Judo coaches could not care less about the development of athletes. All they care about is existing with the little power they have 
in hopes that a superstar walks into their club and becomes somebody. And 80% of all coaches that people say they are uh, they are good, they base that on nothing other than their athlete's performance. Most people determine a coach's worth based on their athlete's performance and determine if that is what makes them good or not. Now, I that's a really strong take to me. But I got to say... I have seen that. I can't sit here and say that 80% of coaches are that way or that most coaches don't care about the development of athletes. I I would say that most coaches that I've come across have been the opposite. However, I have seen this and certainly Travis has been around the competitive judo circuit long enough to to have seen um, that most coaches don't care about the development of athletes. But I have seen, I've seen the situation where a coach probably, and my own coach used to say this, that most coaches, just about every judo coach out there thinks they have their next Olympian in their club. You know, and something else that really stuck out to me that that he kind of bashed and I, I completely agree with. And just for the record, there are, were a lot of people in the chat, it's interesting to read the chat along with his videos because I see a lot of how would I put it, old ideas out there, and some of these old ideas really permeate from from teacher to student, and then that student becomes a teacher, and they pass down these ideas. I'll, I'll just put it this way: there seems to be a lot of people out there that 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 think it's a sin to uh, teach judo for money. Or to make it as a as a career and 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 have a business out of that, and I I think that's wrong thinking. I I actually used to think that way that uh, we should you know give judo away for free every teach the masses and stuff. But no, we all have something of value to offer to teach. Uh, most people have something more to <laughs> to offer than I do. But even after fourteen years, I still have knowledge and ability and 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 technical know-how to be able to pass that along and 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 charge a rate. And you know, while there's always room for those clubs that that run out of a cultural center, let's say, or or, or instructors that want to teach for free, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But conversely, there's nothing wrong with making judo being a judo instructor as a profession and offer a quality service. I mean, let's be really, it, it takes money to have rent and, and provide services and stuff. Hell, even the Kodokan probably w- wasn't built for free, right? So where was I going with all of that? Um, yeah, that's right. The, the thing that Travis kept harping on or, or people kept asking about, the, people say, and it drives me crazy, wouldn't it be great if we put judo in schools? No, I don't think it's great. Travis doesn't think it's great. I, I think, really, I honestly think that's that's a really bad idea. It's a bad idea for a variety of reasons. And, and quite frankly, the, the USA Judo and all the judo federations, we do not have the infrastructure to even support judo in schools, what, elementary school or, or, or high school? I mean, how, how does that even work? Who, Where would we even get qualified coaches to, to even teach a high school club. And he said this during the talk, and I completely agree. The idea of judo in schools is, is just so that somebody else can front the money to, to, for, for the expenses of having a building and, and match space. That's it. And while I'm sure that there are some people out there that, that would genuinely want to have judo in schools to, in, in some sort of effort to grow it, I don't think it would work. But really the bottom line is that that somebody, anybody that proposes or most people that propose judo in schools really just want somebody else to pay for the mats and, and, and the space. Because I don't think there would be a genuine interest, going back to what Travis said, I don't think there would be a genuine interest in developing athletes. Not as a whole anyway. So yeah, so that's about eight minutes worth of saying uh, go watch Travis's videos. They're very good. All right, so moving along, another video that I was watching the other day, and I think this is very important for everybody to watch, is a video called the uh, the COVID-19 Roundtable. And it was a roundtable discussion moderated by Stephen Kepfer. Hopefully I got the, the last name right. Stephen Kepfer, who is the head instructor at 
New York Combat Sambo. And if I'm not mistaken, it's right at Midtown Manhattan. I'm not quite sure where. So he was moderating the discussion and the other participants were uh, Derek Darling of uh, Welcome Matt. I brought his name up many times. Uh, Vlad Kulikov of uh, uh, Sambo Fusion. I, I, I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. Joshua Peters of College Park MMA and uh, Scott Hoffman, Hoffman of Adaptive Movement Parkour. Where while it's a parkour club, he does teach uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu there. So this round table was really interesting. I still have to finish it. I, I have to admit, I haven't finished the whole thing. It was another. It was like an hour and a half long. I got about uh, an hour through. But um, it's really interesting to listen to. And I highly recommend all of you do that because it gives you the realistic impact of COVID-19, the coronavirus, and how that's impacting martial arts clubs. I know many of you already know this, but I guess listening to this video, it really brought to mind and and made me re-realize, because I already knew this, but it made me re-realize how razor thin um, the margins are for most of these clubs. You know, and, and there's a lot of you out there well, not my listeners. You guys are great. But there's a lot of people out there that complain about the high prices of some judo clubs and especially the high prices of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, many of you guys don't really understand uh, the cost that goes involved in running a gym, the insurance, uh, the yada, 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 dealing with this, that. It, like there's, there's a lot of expense that goes into running a club that the student, the typical student, just doesn't really think about or comprehend. And I thought this discussion was interesting because it really was politic-free, and it gives you an insight on what these clubs are facing. And and I, I mean, I first listened to this video probably about two weeks ago, the, the, the day after Steven released it, and some of these guys are saying, I got another month before I got to close my doors. And it's such a shame the virus and, and the regulations have taken away people's ability to work. People that have spent so much time, so much resources. It, it's, it's just, it's tragic. It really is tragic. And that that's probably been the one takeaway that I got away f- uh, from the video is is what will, other than what they are dealing with personally, uh, with, with good landlords, with bad landlords, and, and just... Um, the, the struggles of running a gym and, and, and it, the struggles of trying to survive during this pandemic. And lastly, um, Jimmy Pedro did an interview with a channel called Fight Site. I saw it on YouTube. I don't know if the Fight Site has a podcast. But Jimmy gave some thoughts on on what he would do to grow uh, judo in the United States. And believe it or not, I kind of disagree with some of his ideas. As bold as that may be. Now, I think you guys should check out the interview. I, I, I'll try and sum it up because I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and pick apart somebody's opinion uh, behind this microphone because it's not fair to them. I know I've done that before, but, you know, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have. But I, I will say this. His, his general idea is to have a certification program, say like the Jimmy Pedro uh, I don't know, Jimmy Pedro style of teaching and teach that to Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, instructors and now or and other adults, which, by the way, I think it's a fantastic idea. I, I think if you had a standard um, program of this is how we teach Tayatoshi, this is how we teach Ipon Sayanagi, this is the the endorsed way, you know, put in anybody's name, well, not anybody, put it. Jimmy Pedro way of teaching judo or say the Jason Morris way of teaching judo, whatever the case may be. I think having a course where one can become an instructor, a certified instructor would be a good thing, especially for adults and uh, that want to give back to judo, but they may not be black belts or, or EQ. But at the very least, you have some sort of certification because, you know, what I like about the certification idea is that it takes away the ambiguity of what you can and can't do. None of this, you'll get promoted when I think you're ready stuff. That may work for kids, but I don't think that is really the best way um, to approach adults in a sport that's dying in this country. A sport where one of its biggest problems is is not having enough adult coaches to, to, to teach any sort of judo. So I think that's a great idea to have like Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructors be able to be certified in teaching judo 
the the where I diverge with Jimmy is the idea of make or uh, he didn't use the word force, but basically compelling uh, that instructors, Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructors, open their doors more for kids. And again, I know it's easy for me to pick apart an argument when the person's not on to defend themselves, but my point of view is I don't think anybody should get in between uh, a man and his money and and telling a man how they should make that money. So if many of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools have a model that works for them, have a demographic uh, that is helping them keep their doors open. I think to say, hey, I'll certify you if you pass my test, but you must open your, you must have more classes for kids. I just don't think that's a good way to go about it because there's a lot of instructors out there, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, well, and Judo for that matter. They may be great with teaching adults, but teaching kids is a whole nother monster. And not everybody's cut out for it. I mean, even at my own club, we got, I got two main instructors that are black belts. One of them's very good with kids. The other one, well, I've never actually seen him teach kids, but I'm not so sure if he would be good with kids. And I think he knows that, which is why I have never once seen him teach a kid's class. All right, so I'm going to bring in part three of the Tabron Lee interview. And on this episode, or on this interview, or this section of the interview, excuse me, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the impact of, of COVID-19 against all of our clubs and I'm also, or we're also going to talk about uh, looping back to the discussion on the homegrown pilot program for USA Judo in, in, in Los Angeles area because I, I wanted, I had some follow-up questions I wanted to loop back to. So without any further delay, here's Tabron. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Well, well, one, I, I, um, I hope most people, if they can, pay. Well, continue to support their clubs and keep those memberships alive because, you know, there's going to come a point where this thing ends and, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of clubs not there anymore, both in, you know, jujitsu, judo, taekwondo, karate. I mean, this, this whole thing is, is just really, yeah, I don't, it's just, it's just really unfortunate. And I, I don't, I don't see an end in sight, but I, you, you know, I think grappling sports may suffer moving forward. Um, not just with the economic fallout, but just the, you know, the social impact of it. I, I mean, I won't change, but I know moving forward to try and attract new people. The idea of, oh, yeah, we do a sport where we're in, we're in each other's faces the entire time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be. I see your point. Yeah, it's going to be really. Uh, yeah, things are going to be different once the thing clears up. I'll tell you. Well, and that's why to me it's up to what you're willing to do because we got to pick up the pieces. We got a great skill set to share with others, that's meaningful and impactful on people's lives. You know, and it's up to us so it doesn't suffer like that. Yeah, is the way I feel about it. You know, because yeah, it's gonna. I mean, let's just say six months, man. We look most small. All businesses aren't set up to last a month without, you know, regular flow of business. Uh, uh, this right. happens six months. Listen, we don't need to speak about it because it's not going to be good, you know. But this will pass. All things pass, of you course. know. Once this passes, we got to get right back on that bike, you know, because there's going to be a big need. Because, like you and me, I haven't lost a bug. You haven't lost a bug. I don't think a lot of people are going to lose that bug. You know, yeah, we're going to lose some, but we might gain some as well. You know, you got to be um, optimistic with it. Yeah. Be- because there'll be people out there like, man, you know what? I need to get more physical. I need to do something that's a little bit more than just riding on a bicycle. I need to feel better prepared. And what better thing than, you know, martial arts? That's Grappling a great point. Arts, you know? That, I, 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 that, that's a great point because I, I think – you know, I, I think with this whole thing going on, people are going to be so stuck in their houses that they're just going to, they're going to want to go out. And, and, and I, I think it could be a potential, maybe, you know, instead of things really being bad for a long time, maybe this is going to spurn people to, to really get out there and live life. The way that, you know, I, I think everybody that does any, any sports like this, grappling sports or combat sports, we're we're really in our own ways, really living life to the fullest. 
Um, cause yeah. you know, and I, I think a lot of people out there, uh, you know, I think you're right. I mean, a lot of people out there, they, they they're going to come out of this realizing, you know, we're, you know, I've got my head down doing this, doing that. It's not important, you know, but we, we could really, we could be really building towards something really beneficial and, and important long-term. And, and I, I hope, you know, as, as instructors and as, as, uh, you know, that we can really capitalize that for the benefit of other people. Well, i tell you one great thing happening. You see a lot of people like Travis Stevens, um, a lot of big guys in BJJ, they're doing a virtual training, you know, yep. and a, like we've even started that for our program. Okay. We started a virtual training and, you know, we're getting people joining the classes, you know, cause they're stuck at home. Like you said, they, they're, 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 um, they got nothing to do, so they look forward to this. You know, yeah. that's the type of engagement. And so I encourage all your listeners worldwide, if you don't have a virtual academy right now, get one. Get Zoom for your students. Engage with them. You know, I think it's the schools that are engaging. They're going to really strive, you know, because the worst thing you can do right now is to not check on people. Like, I want to say today, I just sent out about 20 messages to some of my friends around the world. Ask them, hey, man, how are you? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because we forget about that. You know, send that message. You know, I was on the phone with one of my buddies from Africa. We had a good, like, 45-minute call a day. And me and him hadn't caught up in a while. Yeah. And this was the perfect time for us to catch up. So it's what you do with the time. Like, right now, one of the things we're doing, we're passing out food to the community and stuff like that at work, you know? We're, we're, we're trying to be engaged heavily because it's times like this when people remember, like, man, this is a tough time. Well, what did this community engagement group do, you know? So take advantage if, you know, you're not doing that now. Think of what you can do from a virtual platform since most everyone is stuck at home. You know, really utilize that. You're right. Because the schools are now all virtual. Everything's pretty much virtual, but it's those creative individuals that are really setting the standard and setting the pace. And those are the be ones that are going to be remembered. Because if you have a school and you just totally just left it you know, to think, oh, I'll pick back up. No, it doesn't work like that. That's a lie thing. Yeah. You know, you can't, it's like a plant. You got to water it. It needs that sunlight. If you just let it be, well, you know, the old saying, you don't get what you put into something, right? Yeah, completely agreed. Yeah, I, I hear you there. I want to talk a little bit about the homegrown pilot judo program, circle back a little bit again. What, um, is there a curriculum involved to actually get a, 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 a young person from from the LA area into to to have an opportunity to compete at the Olympics? Is 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 there a plan in place in terms of of curriculum, in terms of identifying kids, in terms of of maybe a an an age group that you're targeting right now for? for that for for because because i've always heard that it takes about eight years to to get somebody prepared for an olympics which by the way is it's a shame that these olympics got extended one year because of the virus because i i know some of these athletes were hitting a sweet spot and now they've lost that window but that's for another discussion so in terms of the homegrown uh, pilot judo program in la what are you doing in terms of curriculum in terms of identifying those kids so this is the goal with that it's a true grassroots thing and mainly to expose kids to judo so we originally picked four parks and so uh mike verdugo richie endow roy harding blinky elizande myself um damon lee one of my students ted coulter we're all the guys at those four parks, those four original parks that started it. They did it in eight week sessions. It was successful. So they extended us out another eight weeks. That was successful. Then we got six more parks. What was the success based on? Um, we had about 20 students each park. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's successful to me. Yeah. So my park, I was, it was just me. Um, other parks. Oh, and Angel Murat, he was helping also. I was the only park that only had one sensei, and the others, you know, they had two to three. Right. And so this was to introduce kids, you know, to judo, to USA judo, you know, 
kids, because like we spoke earlier, there's way more BJJ schools and Taekwondo schools than there are judo schools, you know? So even though LA has more judo than most places, it's still, judo is still unknown to some people, you know? Huh. So, like I said, it's big for us, but it's not as big as we like to brag about, in my opinion. Sure. So there's a need for a program like this because those kids, you know, who are introduced, so let's say we had a kid that's 12. He's like, wow, I really like this. And we see some potential. Well, then, hey, we farm them out to a local existing dojo so we can get more practice because a lot of these uh, programs we have, we have them two days a week, you know, because everyone else has their jobs and whatnot. We're of course. Following. Yeah. But it is growing, and it's an outside-of-the-box thing because I forget how many parks we have. I'd have to look on the website, but there's, like, I don't want to say 50 different parks throughout the whole city, you know? So, and these are in neighborhoods where there aren't some judo schools nearby. Right, right, right. This is people who would have never been introduced to judo being introduced, you know? Now, how do you... How do you uh, determine, like, because you, you said, uh, you know, you maybe identify a kid with some potential. Is it, did, did USA Judo or the people that put the program together come up with a criteria? Or are you basing this on your own personal experience as a, as a fourth degree black belt? This is all our own. Each coach at each park, you know, they'll see a kid that's like, man, this kid. It's like looking at any athlete. If we're coaching baseball, like, man. This kid might have some potential. I need to get him in a real baseball program. Sure. Because these are grassroots programs, you know? Oh, right, right. So eventually what we want to do is, like, have all the parks and recs programs that we have start to have like that, you know? But for those kids that you see that potential in, you can, you know, farm them out to an existing program so that they can develop more, you know? Because it's like this kid has – I mean, it happens in my program. A kid will come in, I'm like, oh, you need to keep training. Don't quit. Sure. Don't quit. You know, he's he's an athletic kid. And it's like, with the right guidance and mentorship, who knows what this kid can be. So these programs are the same because they're kid programs. But these are programs meant to be kid programs. You know, they're after-school programs that start about 5.30 or 4.30 in the afternoon. So they're designed for kids through the Parks and Recreation. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Yes. All right, that's interesting. All right, yeah. very, very, very cool. And and you, um, USA Judo got got some money from the IJF, or or did they get it from the U.S. Olympic Committee? I I can't remember which one it was. Did they somehow that there was USA Judo receive funding for these programs? Cor- correct to to help f- facilitate. I don't know, getting match or whatever. I want to say. USA Judo didn't get it, but the city got it because the city the is the one hosting. Yeah. Now, I could be wrong. Don't quote me. You know, I don't want to. But I want to say it's the city that got it, you know. And they had to do their due diligence and all this stuff to be able to receive this. And so the whole tie-in, the best thing one day is to get Keith on the program. He can explain it a lot better than me because I'm really more so on the coaching end of it and getting guys to help coach to keep these programs going. You know, sure. reached out to us and we're like, all right, let, let's do it. Because, you know, our big thing we have in common, look, 2028 is coming. It's going to be right here in my hometown, you know. Yeah. So right. what do we do right now? If you're not helping out, what are you doing to prepare for 2028 is what you got to ask yourself, you know. So programs like this, to me, everyone should be getting on board. Because like Serge um, Boyelsu said, we're all USA Judo at the end of the day. Whether you're USJA, USJF, it all has the U.S. in front of it, you know? We're all Americans that love Judo. And the more of us that work together and help grow what we say we love, we're the solution. So I put a challenge out to all these coaches listening. Hey, get on board and help. We need coaches. You know, once this corona rolls over, we need coaches to start more programs you know and this is just you know if you're a brown belt and you're eligible we're gonna help you out but we need coaches you know there's some guy sitting on a couch right now listening to this and he could be the next great coach for a grassroots program you know i'm not saying you're gonna be jimmy pedro but for your own little dojo 
you could be the greatest thing since, you know, butter met bread. Yeah, right. And, and a kid needs you in their life because you could be that different from them going out doing things they shouldn't be doing to being the next president or something like that, you know? Now, do you know if if USA Judo has a um a, a longer term, broader uh, plan in place for, you know, so let's say you through the Parks and Rec program, you identify a kid or two and, and maybe you get them off to a coach. Do you know if there's there's a further development plan in place for that child? Because I, I would think I would think they would need to be that that kind of a plan in place because you you don't what because i think the worst thing that can happen is you, you know you get you get that kid to you you know you you identify a kid that may have a future and then you get them to a coach and then but then that kid is never supported financially you, you know or any means like that and then now you know now it's almost like all for naught so do you know if there's like a plan in place or, or some kind of a framework at, at all at that, at the highest level? Well, let's give some age examples to kind of answer that. Okay. So let's say, um, I don't know, the kid is 12 years old right now. So how old is he going to be in 2028? He'll be um, 20. 20, right? So we identify that kid. You know, we, we farm them to a good program, you know, maybe San Gabriel. They got one of the hottest, them or Valley Judo out here, you know. From there, he's linked to um, these coaches that are better than, you know, what we have at the Parks and Recs. Sure. And we first got to get them on the national circuit, you know. Then we got to get them on the Pan-American circuit. Right. Then we got to get them on the, you know, European international circuit. Right. So I mean, that, that's, it, it, that's a, a short amount of time kid. and a lot of money, you, you, you know? Exactly. So the kid, first of all, you know, like, let's say he's in my program. Well, you know, we try and sponsor some of our kids that show potential. And same thing with some of the other programs that we have here in Los Angeles. Some of them, you know, they have little fundraising thing. And in USA Judo, I want to say whatever fundraising that they have, if this kid came from that, they're going to do what they can. You know, they're sure. very invested in this um is there a clear one right now i'm not to say but i know you know i've spoken with the powers of be and trust me they're vested in this you know they are okay because you know, so, i know these these athletes i mean they it's probably at least 10 to fifteen thousand dollars a trip when when they yes. go out there between the training camps the competitions the food the lodging the travel the expenses i mean i gotta believe it's a I know it's at least 10,000 for many of these athletes. And that's why it starts on a national level first, you know? It, it, it depends how they do good nationally. Yeah. To qualify for the sponsorships and things like that. And I can't tell you, you know, as far as the money that they're getting from the city of L.A. with the IOC and all that, you right. know, we're still waiting to hear something because I've heard there's a – I don't want to say the number, but there's a substantial amount of money that's supposed to be given. And hopefully a lot of that money will be going into athlete development if we're lucky, you know, right. but I tell you this, when hands, when money crosses a lot of hands, you know, a lot of things can happen. Yeah. You know? you know, and I was just going to bring that up, you know, who, so who hopefully who's going to be the steward of that and, you know, and how many hands are going to be in the cookie jar trying to get a piece of that for their, for the, you know, for their own self-interest, you know? Yeah, so we'll see. You know, hopefully they do the right thing. I'm going to say optimistic, you know. And if the city, you know, properly issues out the money to the certain NGBs and whatnot, because you got to keep this in mind too, all right? It's not just money for judo. This is for all Olympic sports Oh, the okay. ILC is dishing money out for, okay? Okay. So just to make that clear, I don't know if the people know that, but, like, judo is not the only sport in the Olympics. You know? well, right, right. Of course. So this is this is because because I mean I remember, uh, and I'm not sure I'm going to put any of this on the on the podcast. But <laughs> you know, a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. you were Hayward Nishioka was was really uh, complaining about, you know, Nanka or the USJA not getting a part of that money. Yeah, um, which yeah. which I thought was was really absurd. Yeah. Um, 
you know, to put it. And it was. I remember we spoke about that. That's Because you got to think about, like I said, IOC is for all sports, not just judo. So what money would the other grassroots organizations be eligible for if you really think about that, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's accountability. And like I said, judo is one sport of, I don't know, what is it, like 50 sports in the Summer Olympic? It's a lot of sports, you know? A lot of sports, yeah. Yeah. So you got to keep in mind, I mean, this is a judo podcast, so we're talking mainly about judo, but judo is not the only Olympic sport, you know? And I think a lot of times, you know, hate to bring this up, but we get so caught up in what we do and we forget it's bigger than just us, you know? Of course. Especially when you're talking IOC and stuff like that. Like, we're just we're just one sport out of many, you know? And especially here in America, I mean, we're not even a – biggest financial sport you know football is bigger basketball is bigger you know yeah so those guys don't need the money like we need it so i would hope that they would say okay we pass we'll just you know whatever sure but sure i don't know how that works to be honest but i know i got good sense enough to know it's not only judo and sometimes we think about oh yeah 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 we're one sport okay so we got to be realistic you know because it's easy for guys to talk trash and start popping off with their opinion and things, but then they're forgetting, dude, we're one of many. So that's going to do it for part three of my interview with Tabron. Turns out that it ended up being a lot shorter. That's that third part. Uh, because I, I ended up deleting some of the things that they were talking about. They, some, when I do interviews, you guys can't really hear it. Um, sometimes I'll talk to my guests like quote unquote off mic. So I say, okay, we're going to talk about this here. I'm going to, we're going to go in this direction. So I cut all of that stuff out. And then of course we had our, our, our long goodbyes. It, it's like, <laughs> I talked to him on the phone. It's like, we can't get off the phone because there was always some other point that we wanted to express and get out. And we end up having long conversations. That's kind of what happened here. I probably had about 15 more minutes of audio that I deleted because it was just us trying to wrap things up, you know, different things going on or whatever, just, just, just chatting and stuff. So I cut that out because it was just you know, not, not entertaining at all for the listeners, more of a private conversation, that kind of thing. So I am really grateful that, uh, I set aside this time to do an interview with him. I will bring him back at some point. Uh, I say that with all of my guests and then they end up not coming back for a very long time. I still got to get Steve Scott on. I still want to get Gary Goltz on. I still want to get uh, uh, Dr. Anne Maria DeMars on. I still got to get my buddy Judo Joe back on because I, I love doing podcasts with him. It, it's, it's, it, well, you would think that because of this pandemic, we all got nothing to do, you know, once we're not working, but that's just really not the case with me. It's, it's, kind of nonstop for for a variety of reasons. So Tabern's an awesome dude. I I hope to meet him in person one day. I um I find myself California dreaming a lot. It it I there's believe it or not just kind of in my private moments, my thoughts, I think about my trip to California and what it what an impression it left on me, a really positive impression. It reminds me of the first time I came to Clearwater. Uh, down in Florida, I was 14 years old, and in my heart of hearts, I knew that Tampa Bay was going to be the place that I ended up in. And it took, you know, I was a teen; it was only 14, so it took till I was almost uh, 26. I moved down here when I was 25. That was 20 years ago. But um, I tell you what, California left a similar impression. I I find myself going back, thinking about California, thinking about just just how awesome that place is. Uh, especially Los Angeles. Um, so I know I will make it out there at some point. My dad lives right by Phoenix, so it would make sense for me to either fly into Phoenix and drive to LA or drive to, or fly to LA and drive to Phoenix and go home from there. That's what I did the last time. I I know the next time I get myself out to California, there's a lot of you that I would like to meet in person because most of my listener base is in the Southern California area. Now I can't, I can't meet all, you know, all the hundreds out there, but, uh, but certainly a a few people that I've conversed with, um, you, you know, uh, not in person, but, but certainly over the phone or or through messages and stuff. There's, there's a lot of you out there I want to meet. 
Uh, Tabren, you're certainly one of them. Um, and certainly uh, Sensei Gary Goltz is another fellow. I mean, there's, there's so many people I would love to just meet once. Uh, so many influential people, so many people that have given so much of their time and energy to to judo over the years that just, uh, yeah, I want to meet you guys. So I know I will find my way out to California, if not this year, uh, certainly the year after that. All right, so I think it's gonna. I'm going to wrap things up here. I'm going to have an after party as I really enjoy doing them. And I got a lot to cover too. Oh, and uh, before I wrap up, it's it. My club has finally opened somewhat. It's a really odd situation. I know I covered in the previous episode the 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 rollout plan, the phased plan for opening that that, that they're going to follow. It was it was a plan that was um, by some doctor. I think if I recall correctly, his name is Chris Doctor Chris Moriarty. He he was on the. Uh, Stefan Kesting's podcast. And there's a phased opening that he talked about where our, our club is following that. And I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Um, they're only doing at the moment. Uh, uh, there's a few classes throughout the week, but they're only allowing 10 students on the mat at a time. Don't know what exactly they're doing. I suppose I should call my instructor directly to find out, but I don't like calling people, you know, not, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind calling people. I mean, certainly not my family and my children, but uh, I guess I don't like calling people when I don't really know their schedule and leaving a message. You know, that's, that's, uh, I so I don't know what they're doing, but it's 10 classes and we got to sign up an hour before the class. So I don't know with a, with a student base, of at least a hundred people, how that can be managed because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like you're pressing on that button right, right when, uh, you know, the 60 minutes to go mark hits and I'm going to sign in right then and there and, and hopefully be among the first 10 people to, to make it, you know, hopefully get a get a set of steak knives while I'm at it being the first 10. But um, so, yeah, so the club's slowly opening. Uh, I'm glad that they are able to even open because that means that they are they didn't shut their doors like so many other jujitsu clubs out there. So, yeah, so I'm really happy about that. Um, oh yeah, uh, one more thing that I wanted to cover. I have been doing yoga for the past couple of weeks and I, you know, as you guys know that I train when I can with my son, he was here, you know, over the past two weeks and, and I, get, I did manage to get in some practice, not as much as I'd like, but I did get in, um, I had some practice. I was practicing a, a, another half guard pass and, um. Yeah, I, I'm sure the, the people at my club, uh, if they've been listening in the past few episodes, they've been put on notice about my half guard passing skills. But um, so, yeah, I've been working on that. I've uh, working uh, arm bar from guard and and um, and some other basics as well. But uh, I've been incorporating yoga over the past couple of weeks as well, because I've come to realize I'm probably arguably the most inflexible judo black belt in history. And I know that I'm not going to be able to keep up and keep practicing uh, well into my 50s and, and, and even 60s if I do not address my issue with flexibility. I don't, I, I just, I, it's not anything that I've really worked on, um, not to any great degree. And, and I feel that it would just be beneficial for me as I get older and, and, and slower Um to be more flexible in, in for both judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I decided to pick up yoga and I've noticed a, a, a really great difference in just in my overall well-being. I don't feel so so wound up you know through my hamstrings and lower back and my my body just feels more aligned. You know, some of the I don't buy too too much into this kind of stuff, but some of the um you know, you know like internal energy flows and things like that. I, I don't know how to explain it. I, I know, you know, for, for being like an IT kind of a, a techie guy, I, I can sometimes buy into that a little bit. Just just realigning yourself and, and finding, you know, some peace with your center or whatever the case may be. Well, I, I've kind of found that with yoga in the sense that I, I just feel more every time I do it and when I step away, I just feel better. 
I think in that world, they call it chakras, aligning chakras or whatever. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I just know how I feel. And what I feel after I, I practice yoga for about a half hour or so, um, however they describe that stuff, it kind of resonates with me after um, after I do a session. I just I, I feel different. And I do notice my flexibility improving. Now, granted, I, I, I don't think I can touch my toes and I certainly can't bring my nose to my knees. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pathetic, right? I can't touch my toes, seriously. So yeah, I've been incorporating yoga. I do, I follow this YouTube channel called uh, Yoga with Adrian or Yoga by Adrian or something like that. She's, she's really good. Uh, I think she's based out of Austin, Texas. And it's just, I'm doing the beginner program and the hamstrings and lower back program. I alternate them on days. It just seems like what works best for me. And it's, it's been good. It's, it's been a nice addition to my life and, and whoop, hold on a second. Sorry about that. I, uh, my wife was calling me, so I had to pause the recording. So where was I? Yeah. Yoga. It's been great. And I really like the fact that when I do it, I, I, I really put everything out of my mind. I'm, I'm, I end up in this happy place or whatever. And I'm, I'm just focused on what I do and I feel, you know, after, you know, 25, 30 minutes, it, it, feel, it feels like five seconds and, and it's done. It's just, it's just a nice way to relax and, and, and escape the day for just a little bit. So if you guys aren't doing it and you're just as inflexible as I am, I, I really high, highly recommend it. Do, do a beginner course or something for beginners and I, I, I think you'll, you'll find benefits for yourself. All right. So yeah, I think that's going to be it. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. For some of you out there, train hard. Stay safe out there. That's for all of you. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. All right, so the after party. There is a few things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, one's a game, and 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 one's a, a movie, and and then a show. So let me let me start with the game. I know the last time I was on here, I talked about playing Crusader Kings two, and I've been wanting, like I told I said back then, I wanted to pick up a strategy game, a grand strategy game, because that's just kind of what's piqued my interest as of late as a gamer. But finally, the game that I really wanted, put out by the same company, went on sale, and I snatched it up right away. Hearts of Iron 4. That is exactly what I wanted to get because it's a World War II simulator. And I, I, I've only been playing it for a few days now, and I'm still trying to pick up the nuances and the strategy of it all. It's a, it's a very, very difficult game, but um, it's really cool in the sense that you can be a a country and play different outcomes of world war two. So yeah, so I'm still getting the ropes of the game, but it, it looks very promising. exactly what I want. I'm very happy that it was on sale. It was only 10 bucks for me. I'm very pleased about that. Uh, what else? The other day, um, well, let, let me give a little backstory to this. I am notorious as, as a, as a person who actually watches movies and stuff. I'm notorious for not seeing classics. Like, I, like every time I tell my friends, oh, I, I've not seen The Godfather. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I should have seen it already. I have seen The Godfather, but for years, I hadn't seen The Godfather ever. And I'm not even sure if I've watched all of Godfather 2. I, I know that that's probably exploding some people's heads right now. But finally, I saw a movie that was on one of those lists that seemingly everybody in my generation has watched, but I never did. Uh, say anything. It it stars um let's see Ioni Sky and and uh, crap why can't I remember his name at the moment I can't believe it oh yeah, yeah John Cusack I, I'm sure most of you are thinking to yourselves why would why wouldn't you think of his name first in, instead of uh, Ioni Sky uh, anyway I finally watched Say Anything and wow it was it was 
It's a really good movie. I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I've seen, I've watched some of the classic scenes of that movie with him holding the jukebox and him doing the kickboxing, which is a sport of the future back in uh, 1988 or 89. And it it did bring me back to kind of like what what high school was a little bit for me. So it's it's my era. I was, let's see, I would have been... 14 when that movie came out so I was certainly aware of it but that's that as a 14 year old that wasn't the kind of movie I'd say to my mom and dad hey mom dad can you take me to see say anything it just that just wasn't gonna be it I mean if it was you know Raiders of the Lost Ark or actually what in 89 that might have been um the one with Sean Connery as as in the uh as his dad uh, let's see. It was, it was uh, the Last Crusade. That's it. The Last Crusade. I love that one. I love that one more than I loved uh, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I, I actually like uh, Temple of Doom the least. So yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah, that that that's the kind of movie that I would ask my parents to see or to take me to, uh, but say anything that wasn't the type of movie. So I watched it the other day, and I was pleasantly surprised at how good it was. And I, I love how they ended the movie. Just, just with the little ding in the airplane. Sorry to spoil it for you guys, but uh, and and roll credits, and, and that was cool. We that's that's all we needed to know as an audience. We don't need to say anything to or find out what happened to them when they finally landed in London. I know I'm giving away the story, but but the fact remains that um, yeah, I love how it ended there. Now. There's been a couple of shows that I've been watching on on Netflix and and Amazon that I wanted to talk about. One, there's a show that came out on on Netflix called um, Hollywood, and I I I have mixed feelings of the show. With the show overall, it was really good. I I did enjoy it. It was an alternative story of uh, of Hollywood back in the 1950s and stuff. So it was. Again, I've talked about this before. I don't like nudity and strong sexual content in my television shows. And I felt that Hollywood was really trying to push the envelope there with the first three episodes. So much so that I almost just turned it off. I almost just said the hell with this. But I stuck it through because I felt at that point... It's only seven episodes. At three episodes in, I felt like, you know what? I'm pot committed to this thing. I'm sure I can, you know, not throw up while watching the rest of it. And it really picked up. I I thought it ended really well. Sure, there was a lot of, what, how would I call it? Politicizing and pushing the envelope, so to say. Makes me wonder if when, when these newer shows that I'm seeing lately, you know, where I'm seeing a lot of male nudity, um, if if Hollywood is intentionally trying to push the envelope in its own way with there, because I mean we've we've seen nudity by women for, for you know for decades now in in movies and in television, but not so much on the male side. And I, I it doesn't bother me because of the nudity itself. It's just it's got to really add to the story for me, not just a particular scene, but the story as a whole. And very rarely does nudity actually do that. And another show that I've been watching is this. Okay, so this show called Goliath. It's on Amazon Prime. Now, I'm st- I've started into season three. I'm about three episodes in. I'm not sure what to make of this show at this point. Season one was phenomenal, and I I was telling my wife. I said, "Wow, how is it we missed this show?" How is it we've missed this show this entire time? The only thing missing, because it takes place in Los Angeles, is a Goliath slash Bosch uh, crossover where where it's Bosch doing the investigations and Goliath is the or or Billy McBride is the lawyer, and like that would be really cool because uh, it's because it's set in practically the same exact area of Los Angeles. Um, but I don't know season two. And season three so far, the editing, I, like, it makes me think that the person who directed and wrote it was high. And I even feel like I'm on drugs watching the show. And I've never been on on hard drugs at all. But, like, just the, the, that sense of just confusion and, and not being able to follow the story. And it's like... The jumping from this scene to that scene, it just it's just really, really odd. And 
I'm I've, I'm three episodes in on season three, and, and just like the Hollywood show, I'm hell, I'm pot committed at this point. I might as well just see the damn thing through. So I'm gonna finish the episode and do the Lord's work for all of you, in, in, in case it sucks, and I can let you know so you don't waste your time. But so far, it's it's just really I don't know, it, it's not great. Let's see. I also watched this movie. Um, the other day as well, the same day that I watched Say Anything, uh, Knives Out. Uh, that's a fun movie. I haven't watched a a really good mystery type movie in quite some time. It's been a long time. Um, unless you want to count uh, Sherlock, but that's not a movie. That's a show. But it, it was equally, it was similar to that. And Knives Out is a fantastic movie if you enjoy those types of movies. And I thought Daniel Craig... Uh, as the lead in, in investigator was was just fantastic. It was a lot of fun to watch. I I do recommend watching that. It's uh, probably run you about two hours and fifteen minutes, just so you're aware. So one more thing I I wanted to bring up before I wrap this up is um, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. I'm quite the beer connoisseur, and I know many of you that listen are also beer connoisseurs. I'm not talking about that. Michelob or Bud Light crap. I'm talking about real real craft brews from local breweries and different types of beers with funny labels and funny names and different ingredients and such like that. I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Now, I wanted to talk about a couple of beers that I've, I've had recently that I thought were, were really unique. I, I have my own grading system for beers on a scale of 1 to 10. No beer can get a 10. Most beers that I have end up in the low seven ranges. So the first beer that I wanted to talk about was a beer called Golden Monkey by Victory Brewing. I believe the brewer is from Pennsylvania. And it's a triple ale uh, with with a variety of spices that uh, has 9.5% uh, alcohol, AP, ABV. I can't remember what that is. Al- alcohol by volume, I guess. I typically don't like my beers that high because I feel like, well, if I'm just going, if I'm chasing after the alcohol content, I may as well just drink whiskey, which I do. Uh, I, I'm a, I also enjoy whiskeys, but um, this is pretty good. I on a scale of one to ten, I might give it a. It it took a while for it to grow on me a seven point two, maybe. I I so. I thought it was really good. It's um, I'm used to IPAs. That's typically a lot of the times what I end up drinking when it terms to when it comes down to quote unquote uh, micro brews or local brews or things like that. They always tend to be IPAs for some reason. But I wanted to go with the triple ale, and I thought it was very good. I'm a little bit more partial to porters, so another one. Whether you want to call this a uh, a craft brew or not. I I currently enjoying a uh, vanilla porter by Breckenridge Brewery. Now I've actually been to the Breckenridge Brewery out in uh, around the Breckenridge area in Colorado. Actually, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. I I think where I went was actually in Denver. They got a brewery in in Breckenridge, but they've also got one in Denver. I took a tour. I can't remember where I was. I'm pretty sure it was Denver, and. Um, I tried a lot of their beers there, and I've always been a fan of of what they create. And um, this one is no exception. I can't remember the 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 alcohol percentage, but it's a lot lower. But it's got hints of vanilla, and and for whatever reason, I I prefer porters and and stouts over ales and 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 IPAs. And like I said before, I, I think in part because IPAs just seem to be so overdone. I don't know why. I don't know if they're easier for brewmasters to make. I, I don't know what the deal is, but um, two very good beers right there. My favorite of all time is a K- Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Stout. That one for me, I, I rated a very high uh, 9.3. That is, that's the highest rating I've ever given a beer. I've yet to have something that's better. And I'm sure some of you out there are thinking that stuff is swill. You haven't had any real craft brews. What are you talking about? You may be right. But as far as I know what I like, and that's probably my favorite, I'm very partial to Cigar City Brewing, which is a, a local brewery out of Tampa, Florida, specifically in Ebor. At least I think their brewery is in Ebor. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure if it's in Ebor, but um, I'm a big fan of that stuff as well. 
and locally as well. If you if you guys ever have the, uh, I don't know if MotorWorks Brewing uh, ships out to the rest of the country, but they've got a grapefruit IPA that is just phenomenal. It's my second favorite beer, uh, I probably. And I know I, I said IPAs are overdone, but that one's a really good one. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's uh, the name's escape. Oh, there it is. Pulp Friction. That is the name of the beer. If you ever see Pulp Friction in your local, I don't know, wherever you get beer. I, I, I what do they call it? I, where I'm from, they call it a packy. <laughs> a pack, a liquor store, a package store. They call it a packy. But um, yeah, highly recommend uh, Pulp Friction. So yeah, anyway, I think that's going to do it for me for the after party. I'm out.